Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Kyer. Thank you, worship team, for leading us and some great songs. And uh, I always love how <clears throat> the Holy Spirit just sort of directs things on a Sunday morning. And, you know, I know what I've prepared, and then I sing those songs. And, uh, and I hope you'll remember what we sung because we've basically been uh, preparing ourselves uh, for, for this word. And... Um, this morning, we come to really the midpoint of a very short series of messages that we're doing here in January that we've just simply called Start with a Psalm. And it is a great way to start the year, but with 150 psalms, we could easily spend the entire year exploring and discovering truth about God and ourselves in these psalms. And with 150 possible psalms, picking just one is really not that easy. Now, I think we had settled on this series probably already in late November or early December, and immediately a couple of psalms kind of fell onto my short list. Of course, since we were trying to coordinate between five different speakers, we had to settle on one pretty quickly or maybe risk losing it to, uh, to one of the others. I mean, with 150 psalms, the odds weren't that great, but I'm sure there's always uh, some that are kind of the, the go-to psalms uh, that we might be drawn to. I did think immediately of Psalm 51, but since it had to do with sin and forgiveness, it fit very well with the first Sunday when we gathered around the Lord's table. So Pastor Ed had covered that one for us. And then last week, Sid Page, one of our elders, explored the riches of Psalm 19. This morning, I want to take us to Psalm 23. This psalm was very clearly on my heart and mind very early on in this planning, and for good reason. Psalm 23 is well known perhaps the most loved and uh, memorized and quoted verses in all of the Bible. But you don't often hear messages on it. At least I haven't. And in fact, I have never preached a message based on this text, except maybe quoted it at a funeral. Because isn't that where we tend to hear the psalm read most often? And certainly they are comforting words, as we just heard Kyrie read them for us. But these verses aren't just about death and dying. In fact, I think they are more about living, living in relationship with God every day. Now, I have to be honest with you and just tell you up front that one of the hardest things for me uh, in, in coming to a message is trying to actually find a good title. <laughs> now, that may seem crazy, but 
but, but uh, often Tina's wanting a title early on in the week so she can put a slide together and put it on the website. And quite honestly, I just haven't done a whole lot of prep by Tuesday of the week. And so as much as I want the title to reflect the theme of the message well, I find myself sometimes just really grasping at straws. And, and they're not very good. And, and so my title this week is not overly creative, nor is it original. In fact, uh, we have a resource that we use that provides all of the backgrounds for our slides. And uh, I found this slide with this title on it, so I just went with it. And, uh, and so yesterday, just for fun, I actually Googled my title. And lo and behold, there's a book with exactly this title. And I want you to know up front, I didn't buy it, I didn't download it, and so any resemblance to that book, should you go out and buy it, which I would probably suggest, because it'll probably be better than the message, but, 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 but there's no, any correlation there is, is uh, completely coincidental. Uh, but that is one of the problems with this psalm. <laughs> right? I mean, there are books written on it, entire books written on it. And, and how can we do justice to a message like this in just 30 minutes or so. Uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great great, uh, preacher, called it the pearl of the Psalms. And so I have to admit that uh, Friday afternoon as I was studying, I I actually had this little panic attack, a little anxiety. I mean, what, what can I possibly say about this great psalm? And really, as you break it down, you'll see it's, it's a total masterpiece. And so I can only pray that God takes my inadequacies and feeble attempts and then speaks through his word this morning. So, life lessons from Psalm 23. You know, useful knowledge or principles that we learn in life. And I think the best life lessons are what we learn about God and then ultimately how we apply them to life. As I said, Psalm 23, as we consider it, is is a very familiar to most people. I mean, even if you didn't grow up in church, you've, you've probably been to a, a funeral or you've even heard it quoted in a movie or something. It, it just simply is a beautiful expression of trust in God. It really uses very soothing and tranquil images, uh, at least for the first three verses. There's this kind of idyllic image of sheep grazing peacefully on a grassy hillside. And it, it brings this sense of well-being um, even, even to the most troubled heart, just as you read it, right? It just has that, that, that context, the sound, the tone of it. It's, it's a picture of the Lord as shepherd and people as sheep. Now, many people object to be calling a sheep a sheep because of what we know about sheep, right? Let's Face it, they're not known exactly for their intelligence. In fact, most would say that sheep are actually rather stupid and foolish creatures. Not very flattering to be compared to a sheep. Sheep are followers. They're, they're not leaders. And the only time they may be in the lead is when they're being chased by a predator. And they're weak and they're defenseless. But think of the symbolism in these verses. Okay? Helpless, defenseless creatures are able to go about their business every day because they know that they are under the watchful eye of someone that they have learned to trust. And perhaps that's the appeal of the psalm. 
in that we see our own helplessness, and we long to know what it means to find contentment under the watchful eye of a genuinely loving, completely trustworthy, heavenly shepherd. And one last thing to just think about as we just introduce this psalm is David, King David, who wrote this psalm, was a shepherd himself at one point in his life. And so he is writing from first-hand and personal experience. I, I wonder how many times as he sat out there in the fields with his sheep, he thought about his relationship with his sheep and his relationship with God. And just all of these little ideas were kind of in his mind, floating around. And then one day as a king, he, he just sat down and it all just burst forth in this wonderful psalm. It's a poem and, and it was used as a song. And it begins, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord's my shepherd. I want to just stop right there and let's just think about that for a little bit. I mean, we may not like being compared to a sheep, but what about God being a shepherd? Shepherding was considered to be the lowest form of all work. If a family needed a shepherd, that responsibility would usually fall to the youngest child because it was their lot in life. It was really an unpleasant assignment. It was hard work. It was 24-7. The shepherd would live with the sheep. And the task of caring for the sheep was unending. Day and night, summer and winter, good weather and bad. The needs of the sheep, they never ended. And so the shepherd had to work continually to feed, to guide, and to protect the sheep. No one, no one would choose to be a shepherd, except God did. The awesome God of the universe who created all things has stooped down to take care of us. The Lord, or in Hebrew, Yahweh, which was the proper name of the God of Israel. It means, I am who I am. And so it's an inexhaustible name. It speaks on one hand to God's timelessness or the fact that, that, that he, he, he's always the same and never changing. And on the other hand, it speaks to God's self-sufficiency. That is, he needs nothing. He is the great I am. That defines him. And he chose to be a shepherd. God as shepherd his people as sheep, one of the common metaphors throughout the Bible. In the New Testament, Jesus picked up on this, and he declared himself to be the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, he stated in John 10, verse 11. And in that chapter, Jesus says that a shepherd cares for his sheep, and so he protects and guides and provides. And the sheep know the voice of their shepherd. And Jesus adds in those verses, it's a shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep. And that is exactly what Jesus did for us. And so it is only through a personal relationship with Jesus, through faith and trust in him, believing that he died for our sins, that he actually becomes our shepherd. So notice how David makes this personal. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He doesn't say the Lord is our shepherd or Israel's shepherd, but he says, my shepherd. And so he cares for me, watches over me. And because 
the Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, I lack nothing. I lack nothing. Some verses translate this phrase in in the opening verse, I shall not be in want. I shall not be in want. To be in want is to lack what one needs. And the Lord promises to take care of his children. Think about his care for Israel in the wilderness and in the promised land. They needed food, and so he provided manna and quail. They needed water, and it poured forth from a rock. Because the Lord is my shepherd, David writes, I have everything I need. Can you say that this morning? I have everything I need. And when you have everything you need, you find contentment. Now, we might still want, there might still be a lot of things that we want, but we know that our God supplies all of our needs. And when we know that, that that there's nothing that we lack, the result is contentment. And when you stop and think, that's pretty significant. Because by and large, we live in an age of discontent. We never have enough. In fact, advertisers prey on this very discontent. What you have is not good enough. It's out of style. You need newer and bigger and better and faster. You just need. You need, you need, you need. And the result is discontent. But when you stop and think about it, sheep, left to themselves, they, in fact, lack everything. They're helpless. But If we belong to the great I am, the one who is, in fact, self-sufficient, inexhaustible, and completely unchanged by time, we lack nothing. He is, after all, our provider. And so what does the Lord provide? The rest of the psalm explains it for us. First of all, God provides rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures. (coughs) Excuse me. When a sheep can lie down, you know that he is in fact contented and secure. The green pastures of which David writes are peaceful places for rest and feeding, or taken more broadly, they are all that makes life flourish. So once the shepherd provides security for the sheep, it will then and only then be free to lie down and rest. Getting a sheep to lie down is not an easy task. I mean, I, I doubt we have any sheep farmers. Or have we ever had, did anybody here ever grow up on a farm with sheep? Hey, there's a few. All right, we'll have to talk after. <clears throat> and you can correct me um, in all the things I'm about to say. But Philip Keller, he is actually a pastor and an author, and he was a shepherd for him, by himself, like for himself. And so for his own pers- from his own personal experiences as a shepherd, he has written a book called, um, not surprisingly, talk about uncreative titles, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. But what he says is that it is impossible to get a sheep to lie down unless four requirements are met. Okay? These four requirements have to be met. Think about this. They have to, first of all, be free from fear. 
Okay? So they have to have a sense that, that they're secure in their surroundings. They have to be free from, he uses the word friction. Okay? He's a good preacher. He uses F words. Um, <laughs> you could take that the total wrong way, couldn't you? Wow. Did I just say that out loud? Free from fric- friction with other sheep, okay? So they, 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 they can't be kind of in, in conflict with their surroundings. They have to be free, get this, from flies and other parasites. You can picture that, right? Like, they're just annoying, right? If you see cows, you know, they just use their tail and they're swatting the flies around and they could care less. Do you ever look at a cow real close? You know, they got flies, like, crawling in their eyes and stuff. It's just disgusting, right? But, but sheep, it's got to be clear. And they have to be free from hunger, or he uses the word famine. I just wanted to change it. Um, so, you know, I, can, I think we can all appreciate why these things are true. They, the sheep, in order to lie down and rest, they have to be able to relax. And only the shepherd can provide the trust and the peace and even the deliverance and pasture that enables the sheep to be contented. He leads me beside quiet waters. And so this theme of providing rest continues. First we see that, he may, that the shepherd makes the sheep lie down or he makes it possible for them to lie down. Then we see that just like a shepherd, the Lord leads us to quiet waters. And, and sheep are able to rest after they have eaten their fill and they have had their drink from the waters at these resting places. And it's these waters that provide refreshment and well-being. Are you in need of rest today? Let's think about that. In our world, as busy and as crazy and as active as it might be, we know that just experiencing deep rest. It's hard to do, isn't it? But we need to know that the shepherd can, and in fact will, make you lie down. He will do what he has to do. He will lead you to the place of rest. And when we're there, rest in him. Just rest in him. Knowing that he is able to provide you with everything that you need to rest. I mean, is there fear that you might have? in your life? Is, is, is there conflict? Are there just the little annoyances in your life that you just want to slap away and they just keep you unsettled? Or maybe you're just simply feeling hungry. Trust him to provide what you need in every area of your life, and then you can rest in him. Secondly, God provides restoration. In verse 3, he refreshes my soul Some translations use the word uh, restores or revives, which are both good words too. But notice again that this is something that the shepherd does for the sheep. And it's interesting when you think about this psalm, it's not a prayer. It's just a statement that David makes of what God has done. And, and, and so here, when he's talking about refreshing and reviving and restoring, it, it indicates a returning of life and vitality. It's about healing and about restoration. And again, Philip Keller provides insight into, into, um, into this by explaining what, a, what a, he calls it a cast or cast down sheep is. 
And what happens is this. I, I didn't know this, so I'm going to quote just from his book. He says this. A heavy, fat, <clears throat> or long-fleeced sheep will lie down comfortably in some little hollow or depression in the ground. Okay? Remember, he'll only lie down in the safety and security that God has provided. God provides him the rest. But now, he lies down, <clears throat> and it may roll on its side slightly to stretch out or relax. Can you picture, just picture this now. Suddenly, the center of gravity in the body shifts so that it turns on its back far enough that the feet no longer touch the ground. It may feel a sense of panic and start to paw frantically. Frequently, this only makes things worse. It rolls over even further. And now, it is quite impossible for it to regain its feet. Do you picture this little, helpless little sheep now? On his back, stuck in this little depression on the ground. And get this, now some of the gases start to build up in the body. And it cuts off circulation to the legs. And often it's only a matter of hours before the sheep dies. And the only one who can then step in and restore the sheep to health is, you guessed it, the shepherd. Sometimes we are like cast sheep. Spiritually, we're on our backs totally helpless. But Jesus comes to us when we're in this condition and restores us. The very situation is cutting off our spiritual vitality, but the shepherd comes and makes us right side up again. He restores us. Think Peter. Think Peter after he denied even knowing Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. And then the rooster crowing. Peter didn't just say, oh, oh, I don't know who he is. But he in fact said it with an oath. In other words, he's like, I swear I don't know that man. Peter knew exactly what he did when the rooster crowed. And if you are familiar with the scene, you know that he just immediately broke and ran away and wept bitterly. you need to be restored this morning? It really starts with acknowledging our own helpless condition. Stuck in the grace of the shepherd. We're forgiven. We're restored. And we experience peace with God. We've been made right. And so we lack nothing because God, who is my shepherd provides rest and restoration, and thirdly, nourishment. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. As the shepherd leads his sheep, God leads us down the right paths, paths that are the basic moral direction of our lives toward righteousness, not paths that are a burden. They are paths that offer safety and well-being. And these are paths that conform the psalmist's life to God's moral will. So even though the sheep are guided to green pastures and still quiet waters, and even though the shepherd may have had to step in to restore the sheep, 
Most sheep, by nature, are foolish, right? And they easily wander away. And so the shepherd has to move them from field to field because a sheep, if it's left to its own devices, they would actually graze on the same land until every blade of grass and every root is eaten and the field is completely wiped out. But we have a shepherd who guides us from one field to the next. And so there's two points of application I just want to make on this point. The first is, and I've already touched on this, is that, that we stray by sinning. God has a right way, a right path, a path of righteousness. And we often wander and we get off track. It was Isaiah the prophet who said it this way. We all, what, do you know the verse? Like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so to those who have wandered, I want you to know that God provides restoration. But how do we know what the right path is? God simply reveals his will and his way through the Bible. Right? We read it, we meditate on it, we study it, we might memorize it, but most importantly, we live it. It was the psalmist who said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What's he saying? I, I learned those right paths. It's what, what, it's what Sid talked about last week, right? The precepts of the law, the, the commandments, the, the, the word of God. God has revealed himself and his way and his will through his word. And so we're nourished by God through the reading and feeding on his word. And when Peter was restored, Jesus told him what? Feed my sheep. And so the study of God's word provides nourishment for our souls. So, so I just want to encourage you, you know, it's still early in the new year. Find a reading plan. Set a goal. But whatever you do, find a way to be in the word on the regular basis. And God will use his word to nurture you or to nourish you and to lead you. Fourthly, God provides protection. David writes, even though I walk through the darkest valley, or some translations say the valley of the shadow of death, I suspect if we memorize it, that's probably what, we'll, what the way we've memorized, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And the tone of the psalm really changes here, right? From this serene kind of pastoral scene of peace and security, right? Think the grassy hillside. To really kind of a terrifying image of danger and great peril. David likely had in mind some of the deep valleys that, that were from a dry stream bed that had been carved out by the rushing waters in the spring. And it was in these dark valleys that led from the kind of the low-lying areas up into the, to the mountain hillsides. It was in those dark valleys that, that you might encounter dark shadows. And lurking in those shadows, you might have wild animals or robbers. There could even be flash floods. And so, so in this valley is now the picture uh, of one of suspense and danger. 
And David writes here now about the protection and the presence during these times of great danger and distress. The sheep are not alone. They have the confident assurance that the shepherd is with them. And guess what? He has a rod in his belt to fend off any danger. And a staff in his other hand as an instrument of support. And this rod and this staff, they, they, they comfort the sheep. They reassure the sheep. So they have no fear. They're not afraid. In fact, they're filled with a confidence. They're filled with courage because of the central truth of this entire psalm. For you are with me. For you are with me. And this short verse here, this phrase, it affirms God's presence and his relationship. And this is God's promise throughout the ages, even when sometimes God's right path for us is to, quote, walk through the darkest valley. Have you ever noticed that the Christian life isn't always a breeze? Right? It's not always a mountaintop experience. Sometimes there's valleys. Valleys with trials and hardships and danger. But the God who is with us in the lush green fields and by the still waters and is leading us on the right paths is also with us in the valleys. And his presence gives us courage and confidence as we walk in and through some of the hardest times. And he uses those experiences to develop character in us. Perhaps you're walking through a dark valley today. It could be anything. It might be something physical, emotional, maybe mentally, relationally, spiritually. You're just in a dark place. A desert place. That we might know his presence in those dark places. No need to fear because God is there. He promised it to protect and calm in the midst of adversity. And so God provides rest and restoration and nourishment and protection. And guess what? He provides it all in abundance. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now there's some debate among commentators about whether or not the metaphor changes. Most will in fact say that it moves from this shepherd and sheep metaphor to a host and his guest. The picture is now of a faithful person being God's guest at a meal. But Philip Keller, not surprisingly, he stays with the shepherd metaphor. And I can see that too, but I do think it's easier for us to understand and appreciate if we see it just as God preparing a feast that demonstrates to his guests, that demonstrates to those who are in Christ, that demonstrates to those who are his sheep. It demonstrates to us his care and his mercy. 
Uh, These phrases, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows, just came from some of the customs of the day. You would anoint the head of your guests with oil when they arrived at your home as a way to show honor to them, hospitality, and to refresh them. It was a way of kind of softening the the, the chapped skin of being out in the the, Jordanian um, sun. And the glass of choice wine, I love this. You would carefully fill it until it runs over, in fact, intentionally spilling over to send the message that as long as they remain guests in your home, they will have abundance of everything. And David says of the Lord, My cup overflows, there's abundance. And God provides care. I'm just going to touch on these last ones quickly. Verse 6. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God provides care. It doesn't quite seem to cover it. Because there's great words here. Think about them. Goodness. Some translations use mercy, right? Again, it's probably how we translate. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But mercy simply means steadfast love. So all these words are somewhat interchangeable, but just think about the abundance of his care again, his goodness, his mercy, his love. David says that they're literally going to pursue him for the rest of his life. They're going to chase him down. They're going to follow him around. And these are blessings that God has lavishly showered on his children because he cares for them. And because of his unfailing love and care for David, he is able to express that he will then dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the sanctuary for worship now, and when he passes from this life to the next, in the place that God has prepared for him. You see, the lessons, the life lessons that we learn about God, they really matter in life. James Bryan Smith writes in The Good and Beautiful God, he says this, the most important thing about a person is what they think about God. The most important thing about a person is what they think about God. Our thoughts about God will determine determine not only who we are, but how we live. What we think about God, what we think God is like, will determine the relationship we have with God. Friends, that's why, like when we were singing, you're a good, good father. You're a good, good father. And you love me. You love me. You love me. If you can just take those two truths today and say, He's a good, good father. He's my shepherd. He provides everything that I need. I lack absolutely nothing. And so here's your homework. Don't remember, you probably won't remember what I said by later this afternoon. But if we can sit down, and maybe in a fresh way, maybe it's been a while, and maybe this, ver- this message today has just helped you. Yeah, I memorized that when I was a child in Sunday school. I, that was one of the first verses I learned when I started to follow Jesus. Whatever it is, 
Go back there. Learn this verse. Memorize it. Think about it. Because as well known as it is, it's just this incredibly beautiful expression of the kingdom of God in which God is with us. The psalmist declared, you are with me. Let's leave this morning going, you are with me. You are with me wherever we go. Into the unknowns, into unemployment, into uncertainty, into that situation that we're going to go meet the doctor with about this week. Whatever it is, you go with me. And God is caring for us, and he's caring and providing for us and blessing us, even in the most trying circumstances. And because of God's grace, his provision, his protection, and his care, right, we lack nothing. We may want, but we don't lack anything. God invites us to rest, to be refreshed, and to be restored. God leads and guides us even in our most painful situations. And because God is with us, we can live without fear. God even prepares a table for us. He says, in the presence of those who would harm us. So God not only provides what we need, he gives us more than what we need. Our cup is overflowing. And when we walk with God as our shepherd, we can then see our entire life, even our trials and our suffering, as goodness and mercy. I believe that if we can learn and then recite this psalm, maybe before we fall asleep, or first thing in the morning when we awake. And as we think about each word, as we let these images wash over our minds, it will embed this truth about this exceedingly good and loving God. And we will begin to be shaped by these very words that maybe have become all too familiar, that we've missed the truth of them. Let's pray together. Father, oh man, this is such a good word. And I pray, Lord, that each one of us this morning would know without a doubt that whatever we need you have provided for us in a way that we lack nothing. We really have it all. And you are the one who gifts to us rest. You're the one that restores us and puts us back up on our feet. You're the one that provides nourishment. You're the one that protects us, protects our hearts and our minds even in dangerous situations. And you are a God that abundantly provides all of these things because you care for us. Surely, your goodness and your mercy will pursue hard after us for the rest of our lives. So we have no other response but to stand in awe and in wonder and in worship of you, our good, good 
Father, shepherd of our souls. In Jesus' name we pray.